Hey, it's Bridget and Liz, and you're listening to Dude, Dude, Guess What? Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the podcast today. It's our seventh. Seventh episode. Holy crap. It's going by fast. It is. It's been a lot of fun to... Yeah. Yeah. To do this. It has. And today we have our official first special guest. I know we had Anthony on last weekend, but... He doesn't count. He's not that special. <laughs> we have my friend, Dr. Stacy Graziano. Hello. Yeah, we're really excited to have her. When I was talking to Liz, I've always really wanted to have a special guest on that wasn't like related to us. <laughs> Although if you are related to us, you are still special. Yeah. Um, but I was like, we should start off with going in April and having like autism awareness month. And so that's kind of what we're doing for this episode. It's kicking off April. And I just happen to have a specialist in my back pocket. I know. There you go. And here's I'm right here. And I'm not even from the TikToks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been, so I know Stacy from the gym and that's like where all my friends are from. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But um, St- we tell Stacy all the time that she needs to make a TikTok channel. What is, or is that what I don't know. It? I don't know. So she can like give us, give the world her knowledge because she knows so much. And now I forced her onto the podcast episodes. Instagram was first. Yeah, Instagram was first. That was the baby stuff. Mm-hmm. That was the gateway drug. And now it's going to be like TikTok, all the things. And I'm, I'm here for it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I remember like when I was telling you, I was like, oh, I know somebody that has an autistic son that I would love to have on, which we are going to have her on. And then Liz was like, oh, well, one of my friends is a psychologist. And I was like, what? Bridget's like, you know smart people? (laughs) You know smart people? (laughs) So we're super excited to have Stacy on. But first, recap. Recap. So the most exciting thing that's happened today is Bridget ran, almost ran a red light. And we were coming, so we're recording at a library today because we don't have, I don't shocking statement here, but we're not made of money. So we don't have lots of podcast abilities. So uh, we're here in a library room and we're recording with Stacy and um, we were coming to the library and we're just, just freaking hauling, you know what, down, down the road. And I, it's red. The light is red. And I'm like, I hope she sees that. <clears throat> and did you did you see it like what was going through your mind no i don't know i was probably just so excited to get here <laughs> well, well i also did come down to holiday so it was new yeah to be fair. well i haven't been in this area in right. a very long time yeah honestly it's true i haven't lived in utah since 2015 this is Bridget's favorite factoid she likes i'm to like i haven't lived in utah She's like, i don't know any good soda you, shops here you love saying that don't you like once you get out of Utah, you're like, I never went back. I never went back, and I never. Except she comes here once a month. <laughs> I have found though, like if I'm driving and all of a sudden I come on like upon like a roundabout, I'm like, I don't know what to do here. Oh. Like if it's in a new area, I'm like, yeah. wait, what's happening? If you have one in your neighborhood, you're like, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Drive a mile away, like no, no, Riverton, no, absolutely not. What is this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so Bridget had to slam on her brakes, and it's. Oh, there was like another car coming the other direction. They're probably like, well, is this person having an accident? Like, what is going on? And all the crap in Bridget's back seat just goes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my She's just breaking. And yeah. then, yeah, Liz was like, I know you're deaf, but are you going? 
colorblind. Because, side note, I mean, people know this, but, well, some people know this, but I am 50% deaf, so... It was really funny, and I was, like, laughing super hard. Bridget makes me feel so good whenever we're around each other because she always laughs at my stupid side comments. And I'm always like, am I not funny? But, like, I need to be around other people to give me a reality check. So, yeah. But, Stacy, Yeah, tell us about tell your us week. About your week. Anything Dang, crazy? Oh, cool. gosh. Well, I started off this morning at the gym with Liz because yeah. that's how we like to start our Saturdays. So, this is actually the second time I've seen her today. Mm-hmm. Oh, but my it's goodness. great. I, I mean, we're a little Team obsessed. Fit yeah. We are a little obsessed. And I think most people that know us are like, could you stop talking about the gym? I know. This morning, I was like, should we say that we're fit plus athletes oh, but also I mean, we could i know we're like power lifters now we're power lifters now oh my gosh that's so official <laughs> i know i kind of love i honestly was like wait are there athletes really like are they like sponsored athletes by fit bliss should i say this is this going to be outside of the whatever right. i don't know don't sue us Lindsay. <laughs> yeah please don't <laughs> that's funny i uh yeah that's cool you guys both do the power lifting and yeah. That's how we met. We met like what, like eighteen months ago during yeah. quarantine. quarantine. Basically, we started. Stacy started gym. before me though. You yeah. started when? When did you start going to the gym? I think I started a, like a couple months before you. Because I started October twenty twenty. Right, and I think I came back like in August. Okay. And then our other friend that makes up our trio started in on like shortly after me, and then Liz came. Oh, cool. And Liz and I just kind of like connected and. That's Our other fun. friend is a little, we're both extroverts with like splashes of like misplaced social anxiety. Uh-huh. And we're both like, why are we like this? Yeah. <laughs> but then we grabbed the introvert and we were like, you're with us now. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't think she wanted to be. But yeah, well, you're welcome. Yeah. Welcome Maddie. to our, oh, yes, yeah. she's part of our trio. Yeah. That's awesome. It's been really fun. Okay. That's fun. And like whenever new people come, we're like, <sighs> you're like, you don't mm-hmm. fit in here. They're like, hmm, I don't know how this is going to work. Well, I don't know. And then we have a running joke, like, anytime. Because we go really early. We go at, like, Yeah, five. you guys go super early. We go super early, and we go, like, three, four times a week. But mm-hmm. when people, new people start, a lot of times they don't stick it out because it's early, right? Yeah. But if somebody stops, they'll be like, well, I did it again. I offended him. So it's like <laughs> the running joke. So someone yeah, stops like, great, coming. Stacey. Like, we like this one. Right. They're like, don't what did you to say to her, Stacey? And I'm like, I'm making a new friend. And they're like, careful. Don't talk to her. You're scary. <laughs> but Stacey's not scary. No, I'm she's not great. to be. No. Stacey seems great. awesome. Well, <clears throat> so we want to start off. Um, Stacey, just give us a little bit of a background about who you are, I know that you have a PhD and you have your master's, so tell us about your your education from. Yeah, okay, yeah. Credentials. Credentials, here we go. (laughs) So, um, the TikToks. The TikToks, not really. So, I, um, I'm originally from southern New Mexico, so everybody in Utah, I think, likes to say they're not from here, so I'm going to throw that out there. I am not a native Okay, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. What? What part of, like, are, do you, have you watched Breaking Bad? Girl, yes, okay. I watched Breaking Have Bad. you been to any of the like? Yes, I oh did the tour. God. I did the tour. I'll show you the pictures. Oh my god, my done... husband and I love Breaking Bad. Yes, I did the Breaking Bad tour with my mom. I have pictures to prove it. It was so fun. Oh my heck. Um, yeah, it was amazing. You should definitely do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, whenever I hear somebody's from New Mexico, I'm like, wait, have you seen the Breaking Bad? I know. It's like anyone who's from New Zealand, they're like, so have you are been to the Hobbit? Right. Oh. <laughs> Harry Potter, right? Or not. Yeah. What is it, Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. 
fantasy things. <laughs> That's yeah, cool. Totally. Okay, sorry. So yeah. you're from New Mexico. I'm from New Mexico. I'm like four hours south of Albuquerque, though, so like the Las Cruces area, okay. which is like really close to El Paso, Texas. But anyways, so um, grew up in southern New Mexico and then um, went to school in Texas. I went to Texas Tech, got my bachelor's oh. degree, got Bridget a degree in psychology. Yeah. I do, too. I love Texas as well. It's pretty great. Um, and then came back to New Mexico, got my master's degree in school psychology, and then worked as a school psychologist in a rural area of the state for a few years, and then decided to come go back to school and get my PhD and apply to a few schools, um, and was accepted to the U, the University Whoa. of Utah, which was my first pick. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. You? Dang, girl. Like... Yeah. They're a good school. Yeah, it is a good school. And it's been, it was a really, um, it was a rigorous experience. And, but it was such a rich learning environment. Like, I just really felt like I came out fully prepared. Um, so, yeah, so that was my background. And I'm still, you know, affiliated with the University of Utah. I have some students that I supervise in our, the clinic at the University of Utah. Some students in the school. Are you an adjunct program. professor? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. so I'm an adjunct clinical professor. And then... Um, I also do some PRN work at the Autism Spectrum Disorder Clinic at the oh, University cool. of Utah, so I have um, an adjunct appointment there through the Department of Psychiatry. But um, yeah, so that has been my academic experience thus far, and I moved here in 2009 and haven't left yet. Um, I've had a lot of really great learning opportunities and career yeah. opportunities here, and been fortunate enough to work with a lot of really knowledgeable people that's sweet dude stacy you're like so i know legit. i'm like we have someone like super legit on our podcast <laughs> do we feel worthy enough? not at all <laughs> just wait till i start tiktok like, oh there she is <laughs> okay so why did you choose psych like what wanted what made you want to be a psychologist i think it was just something that i was really interested in early on like i just really kind of connected and was really fascinated during my undergrad with the coursework that i did um, and then I just took some additional opportunities to work in some um, some labs with some of the psychology faculty that were that were working there at Texas Tech and got really involved in doing undergraduate uh, research and took on those training opportunities and just really got sucked in and just kind of went off of that. And then also I come from a f- line of educators, so you know my mom's a teacher and really wanted to work with kids, but was looking for a blend and then came across the field of school psychology and that's how it kind of started. So did that and then really got interested in more, my niche is more like rural school psychology, um, early childhood and then autism as well. So took those training opportunities and just kind of started to pursue that track and then worked as a behavior therapist for a kiddo that was on the spectrum when I was getting my master's degree. And that was when I was like, I'm done. Like, this is it for me. Really? Like, like, this is my focus. Like, okay. I'm just so interested. And I That's what I was going to ask anything, you next. Everything, anything and everything I could. Yeah. So, so, so then you, was that, that was in your master's program? Yeah, that okay. was my master's So program. then you go get your PhD and you mm-hmm. specialize in autism or like, I do not know how that works. Yeah. So I did some additional training tracks. So I did a training track that was specific to autism and neurodevelopmental disorders okay. and delays and emphasized in that and did some additional testing in neuropsychology and kind of went from there. 
Okay. Dude, Dude this is so cool. cool. I legit, on the way here, to, I was telling Bridget, I was like, I like, know what Stacy does, but like, I don't know what she does. Right. Like, I'm actually like super pumped to like hear all this stuff <laughs> because I don't, I mean, I think I know what autism is. Could I, it's a, like a behavior disorder, but like, I mean, base, that's like very basics, mm-hmm. my knowledge, but like, um, I'm excited to hear like more about it because I think it's probably more common than I assume it is. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people are probably on the spectrum, but very high functioning. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that, is that a, a correct assumption? I don't know. Yeah. You know, I get tons of referrals. So now in my practice, I still work in the schools, um, in the early childhood setting. And I also have my own private practice. So I do, um, evaluations for children on the autism spectrum. And then every once in a while I do some adult assessments. And then I also have, um, I have some behavioral therapists that do some in-home behavior therapy and connected services as well. But it's really interesting because I get, you know, with a pretty good amount of frequency, I still get adults that refer self-refer in. Oh, oh really? And they'll say, you know, I think I have autism and I just really have struggled my whole life. And But we really didn't start to discuss it until I'd say like the last probably 15 to 20 years it really started to gain prevalence and then now of course it's you hear about it a lot more yeah but if you think about it there's people that are like you know our parents age like 50s and they're like you know this wasn't a thing when I was growing up yeah how would we have even addressed that you know so that's really interesting and then they've kind of gone their whole life and realized you know I'm having issues in my you know my interpersonal relationships that's a really common one or problems at work or you know other things that come up and then they start to self-identify those. Or sometimes they'll have a spouse call in, which is always fun. And they're like, oh I need you to evaluate my spouse. Right. Well, that is crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know. I think that that's probably more, I don't know, like I'm saying, like, it's probably more common. And like, you're saying that it probably is. So this is actually a good segue. So like, to the next question that I want to ask is like, what is a diagnosis of autism? And like, what does that entail? And what does it mean? Yeah, what does it mean? Like, symptoms, because, like well, I will say, <clears throat> I'm not, like I said, I am not a specialist at all. <laughs> um, but I have heard, you know, of autism and Asperger's, but I feel like mm-hmm. they went away with Asperger's, right? They did. So that was really controversial because... Typically, we tend to think of Asperger's as, you know, those individuals that um, are kind of higher functioning and that just even that phrase is a little bit controversial, but I'm going to use it for the purpose of today just to kind of explain things more clearly. But those would be individuals that are, you know, pretty doing pretty well in terms of like their communication, their social functioning for the most part, and then their cognitive functioning. So like Elon Musk recently said that he was an adult with Asperger's. And, oh, really? You know, I had no idea. Yeah, but if you listen to some of the things that he says, it, it kind of tracks, right? Oh, you know, really? He sleeps at his office, you know? There's just some things that come being very hyper-focused on his work or things like that, right? Yeah. Um, so now, if you look in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is what we use to identify autism, you'll see autism is broken out to three different parts now. So actually... Autism, um, you either get a level one, a level two, or a level three diagnosis. So a level three would be very needing, requiring very substantial supports. So those children or adults would have very significant um, impairments in multiple areas. So for example, communication, their adaptive functioning. So adaptive skills are like your activities of daily living, mm-hmm. and then social and emotional deficits as well. 
And then they also typically have more restricted and repetitive behavior. So that's being like really hyper-focused on certain things that mm-hmm. really kind of, to the extent that it impacts your day, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you can't shift and that your executive functioning doesn't allow you to shift between tasks. So a level two is a, a degree down from that, and that would be requiring um, substantial supports. And so that's more of like your moderate range. Mm-hmm. So if you kind of wanted to think about it as like mild, moderate, or severe, a level two would be the more moderate range kind of encompassing those things that we just kind of talked about. Yeah. And then level one would be requiring support. So if you were thinking about like Asperger's, that's typically where those individuals would fall. So for the most part, they need support in a few areas. And it, it could be multiple areas, but not to the extent that they're maybe having a lot of issues functioning independently for the most part. So why did they, I mean, this is probably a little bit off topic in terms of why did they get rid of it? Like, you know, they have, the DSM has study groups, they have work and study groups and they take, they take a while to come out with a new edition. And so they gather, you know, psychiatrists, psychologists, and, you know, they kind of come across or come upon some of these different diagnoses and they kind of look at um, their utility for today, whether or not they, they hold true, whether new information and research has been brought up, and how to best describe it, I think, to the public or what that means. And so I think it's just one of those things where they were in a work group and they were like, hey, why don't we separate this more, right? Oh, okay. Well, and I personally think like level one and level two and three is kind of a little bit more descriptive in terms of like yeah. a level of functioning if you want to connect it to services. But that's that's another that's a yeah. whole other thing yeah. in terms of like the DSM because there's okay. things that have been introduced and taken out that are very controversial and so you have to look at the history of the DSM as well. Yeah. But dang. That's crazy. That. I know. Yeah, it I'm is. like. Yeah, things shocked. Yeah. Shocked. Well, no, just like my little Your little my, brain. my little psychology like classes I took in college or. Just seems so insignificant right now. <laughs> that's what happens when you get hyper focused in one area, and then you're just like, "That's that's literally all I know. I know pop culture and autism." And <laughs> that's cool. Um, Kayla's what what? So I guess like, what does what are some early signs that your child has autism, and or even what does an that, adult, or yeah. even yeah, or an adult, and okay. what does that diagnosis mean for them? Okay, that's a good question. So. We, in my clinic, we do diagnoses for kids as young as 18 months, 18 to 24 months. Really? There are a lot of places that don't see kiddos or, you know, babies within that range because they are younger. So you really have to be really well versed in early childhood development Mm -hmm. in terms of being able to identify what's appropriate for that course of development. Um, But typically when you're looking at a really young child so I'm thinking of a baby that's younger so we're not toddler age yet so like 12 months 18 months there's some things you should be looking for right so in some instances they're not they're likely not going to be talking or using full words yet around you know a year or less than a year but they should be following certain sequences so babbling is really important right and that's kind of like when you use like motherese which is what they call like when we're babbling to babies Mm. we just are kind of hardwired to do that with them and Mm -hmm. it's so annoying but it's just built in us to talk to them that way 
because that's how they understand us, right? And so typically they use like a consonant vowel, consonant vowel pattern, right? So like baba, mama, dada. Yeah. That's why, because that's how their brains start to develop language very early on. They'll start with like the first sequence and then they add to it and we repeat it back to them. So when you don't see them start to use those like early symptoms of language, those early kind of building foundational skills, that's a concern. The other thing that you would really want to pay attention to is eye contact. So that's a big one. When you're looking at like the typical course of development for infants and babies, they should be making eye contact with you. Mm -hmm. And so, and smiling as well. So social smiling is big and making eye contact. So typically what they found is when they do studies with infants, they are most likely or usually observed looking at people's mouths and looking at other parts of their faces or mm -hmm. looking at objects or past them. They don't focus on the eyes. Okay. And so they've even done like tracking studies where they track their visual movements and their mm -hmm. eye movements to determine where their gaze is at. And that has been used as an early indicator for wow. autism, which is really huge, right? Yeah. And so as far as like motor skills, a lot of times um, <clears throat> you may not see some of the re uh, repetitive behaviors like hand flapping or fidgeting because they don't have the motor skills yet to do mm -hmm. that. But you might see them like posturing. So posturing is kind of like when you hold your body like really rigid, your arms are down or tight. Sometimes parents will describe them as hard to hold or to cuddle. They don't like to be hugged as much. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you'll notice that they might clutch items in their hands and kind of like hold on to it for dear life and like yeah. not let go, right? And you kind of have to pry it away from them. Mm -hmm. So those are like the really early indicators of uh, as far as looking at infants and babies that are that can be on the spectrum, right? And so it's really important when you're doing those well-child checks. Uh, you've probably noticed this, Bridget, because you have kids, but yeah. you go in and you fill out that questionnaire. Usually it's like the MCHAT that they have you mm -hmm. fill, fill out. Um, the STAT is another one that they use, but those are just like quick developmental surveys, and it's what your pediatrician uses to make sure that your baby is on track developmentally yeah. and so they'll ask some of those questions and then if you get a certain score then they might say like hey they're at risk I'm going to refer you out to someone else and typically unless you're seeing like a developmental pediatrician they'll refer out to like a psychologist so someone like myself or a yeah. clinic where they're going to actually do the full evaluation dang dude I feel like I'm like getting like a master class right now yeah. like I, I feel cool listening to you I don't know this well, is awesome. really cool I love, I love talking cool. about it yeah because I know like with my kids they've had well JD hasn't had it yet which is so weird I mean we're in Idaho though so like our our pediatrician is awesome but our one in Boise did do that with mm -hmm. Austin I remember like filling out a thing like it was like how many words does he know or like does yeah. he make eye contact or whatever thing with JD that's kind of hard, though, is he was born premature, and so he's going to be a little bit Yeah, he behind. might be a little bit but, <clears throat> but, like, he does do that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I'm, like, self-checking. I'm, like, okay, I my kids, I'm my kids do this. this stuff, and I'm, like, do you The other thing that I was going to mention, I, um, when you have kids, your own kids, and I have three kids, you start to pick up on this, especially you've had your first, and you kind of are, like, I don't know what to expect yeah. right and then you have your second or you have subsequent kiddos like you're like okay well they did this they did this I started to take well because I'm a weirdo and unfortunately <laughs> they have a psychologist as a mom which is very sad for them it's my biggest red flag but um <laughs> in any aspect of my life but um 
I would take videos of them doing some of these certain things so that I could kind of like have my own like running record for their development. Oh, and I cool. used it like kind of as a benchmark, like mm-hmm. with the other brother when they'd come through because I have yeah. three little boys. Um, oh, you have three little boys? I have three oh my little God. boys. I have two boys and boy mom over here. I'm like, there's something special about boy it moms. Is. I know, and Liz is about to be a boy mom <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, so that's true. Yeah. So what, what's really cool, though, is the CDC has also come up with an app. It's a CDC, like, Milestones app. They've done this already. So you oh. can literally, so Bridget and Liz, download this. Everybody yeah, should go down like this. It's the CDC Milestone app. And they have videos that will show you exactly what they mean. So what's a social oh. smile? Um, for example, what is response to joint attention? So response to joint attention is, like, if, if I'm working... I literally do this during an assessment. If I'm doing an assessment with a little one, I will, you know, look at them and I'll look at an object out of line with them to see if their gaze follows my gaze to see if they can then reference that object. They're like, what are you looking at? Based on my eye gaze, right? And if they can't, if I look and they don't reference, then I'll follow it up and I'll point. And then if they don't, then I'll follow it up and point. And I'll say, look. Yeah. And then see if they can follow. So they'll give you examples of that. And that's a great way to track that. So if you, it'll, you know, ask you if your child is doing this, they'll give you an example and you can say like, no, not yet. Or I haven't, it hasn't been observed. It'll then remind yeah. you and tell you like, Hey, remember to ask your pediatrician about this. Cause we love our pediatricians, but the truth of the matter is those appointments are tight mm-hmm. and they are back to back. Yeah. And so when you go in with your kiddo and you're in there for like you know 15 20 minutes they're not going to see the full picture of what that child looks like that's a little snapshot and so they really rely on parent report in terms of you know what are you seeing at home right Mm -hmm. yeah and that's why you know a lot of those offices will have like um a poster and it'll say like the how many words your child be using at this stage right you know, and so like around two, two to three, that's kind of make or break it because that's like the time for like language explosion. Mm-hmm. So if kids are following that typical line of development. They become very verbal. They're putting two words together and they're gaining and acquiring new vocabulary all the time. And they're very flexible with it and they're using it in different ways. Okay. And so that's why we have that reminder in there. But it's important to have that information when you go in. Otherwise... I feel like they don't get a very accurate look, especially if they're not following through with like the questionnaires and stuff. Yeah. This is so good. I'm like, actually, I'm so glad we're doing this because I feel like all parents should have to go through a course like this before they have a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Because even me, like, so my little boy, JD, he was born at 34 weeks and I'm, I kick myself because I didn't follow up with this, but we had, it was like a social worker or I don't remember what it was. You were either working with occupational therapists or speech pathologists, but um, it was they would you would meet with them monthly, and it was kind of a thing where they would track if your child, since they were born prematurely, if they were on track with like a premature at that time. Mm-hmm. And now, because it's hard for me, because like my oldest was born full term, was born full term, and he was also very like early on, like. He was walking by 10 months, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. crawling by five. Like it, he was just very early. I feel like maybe the early. like average, I don't know. Right. But um, so it's hard for me too sometimes when I'm like, oh, Austin was doing this at this age and JD's not. JD's not. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, I, cause like you said, like with him, I'm more aware of like things that he does. And, and so I'm like, okay, he's 
fine here, but anyway. Right. But you it's have, just, it's... You also have to remember, like, there is that, there is kind of that window, right, when things occur kind of naturally. So if you were saying he walked at, like, 10 months, that's incredibly early, yeah. right? So, like, the window, really, for a late walker even could go up to, like, 18 months, yeah. right? And that's so you have so to remember hard. that because... Yeah you start to kind of freak out. But the key is if you start to see that and there are, you know, some of those things that are indicators for um, autism, there are things that you can do about that. Yeah. So, so how do you feel like um, an early diagnosis is like beneficial for somebody with that has an, a child that has autism? Yeah. Well, it's, it's crucial really. I mean, if you think about, you know, the young, the research shows that the younger that kids are diagnosed, the better because they have more time to spend in early intervention and beyond. So, um, even, you know, babies, toddlers, and young children that are diagnosed, they have that much longer time to spend in intensive like therapies. Um, they get more access to, speech and language services, social emotional supports, and so that really does benefit them long term, right? Mm -hmm. So that is crucial in terms of like, it's been shown to demonstrate more cognitive growth, so they do better long term on IQ tests, they develop more language, and they're Mm -hmm. more successful in social interactions when they have earlier interventions. That's not to say that it's too late, right? So we do have some, some kids that will come in and typically... Well, I think we've done a pretty good PR job of letting people know um, just in general what some of the symptoms are. And so people are more aware of it and doctor's mm-hmm. offices are queuing parents in more. You know, however, we do get some of those families that bring their kids in a little bit later. And that's still important because they we still need to get services for them, yeah. especially if we're looking at... Like something's at, better than nothing. Yeah, at absolutely. And so especially if you're thinking about like... Um, kids that would meet criteria for like a level two or a level three diagnosis, they really do stand to, to make the most gains with support. Wow. So what do you, what do you recommend then somebody after they've received an, an autism diagnosis or on the spectrum? Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what is like politically correct? To say yeah. What is, what is the, there? like yeah. you have so, autism or you're just on the spectrum? So, I think either one is okay. Okay. Um, You know, when I was in grad school, it was always person-first language, right? So you'd say, like, an individual with autism, a child with autism. But I feel like in a lot of ways, like, some of the, like, the autism community has kind of, um, I think, kind of revamped the way that they prefer to be called. And so some people will say, no, I'm an autistic adult. I'm an autistic individual. That's an autistic child. And that's totally fine. I use person first just because that's how I was trained. But if I'm speaking with a family and they prefer the other, I'm totally happy to switch. Yeah. Um, I think it's just a safer bet because you're just not really sure where people are at. So you can say, you know, they have autism or, um, you know, they're on the spectrum. And then it, I kind of take that person's lead in conversation. So if someone says my autistic child, then I can follow Sue and refer oh, to them yeah. that way. Okay. But if they refer to them person first, then I try to do the same as well yeah. because, you know, we don't want to define an individual by a disability. But that also brings up another question because some people do not perceive that as a disability, right? Right, yeah. And so you have to be careful about that as well. And so it's a neurodevelopmental disorder with some associated features that can make certain aspects of life and daily activities difficult or challenging. Yeah. And that's kind of how we, we think of it. Dang. So I didn't mean to hijack your question. Oh, sorry. No, I just was sorry. like, wait, how should we actually say this? Like... I don't yeah, know. If people oh no, that was great because I even was like, should I be saying autism or on the spectrum? Or? Yeah. I think so then, so what would you suggest then after somebody has received an, an mm-hmm. autism diagnosis? 
So what do you suggest them do? Like, do they do they go to a speech pathologist? Do they go to an occupational therapist? Mm -hmm. They go to a psychologist, but... right? So it depends. Um, if they're young, so if we're talking about like infants, babies, toddlers, you know, they are still eligible for early intervention services, and so we call those Part C services. And so those are actually services that can be provided in your home, and sometimes it's it's kind of based on your family's. Um, income, but it's a, usually a reduced fee. So you can have a speech language pathologist come in and work with your child at home. Uh, behavioral specialists can sometimes come in. I think those are important pieces to have in mm -hmm. place. Uh, typically that's something that maybe the pediatrician will recommend to get families started. And then if they get to a point where they feel like maybe they have, you know, had some issues come up on their questionnaire in their office and they're still having concerns, then they'll refer them out. So this is where it gets a little bit tricky because even in, you know, like I feel like actually here in Utah, like we're pretty mobilized and pretty knowledgeable about autism in terms of like the general profession, mm -hmm. but it's still really hard to get in and get an appointment and get seen. Because so the wait list is long? The wait lists okay. are long. The wait lists are long. Not oh, all, man. not all. First of all, you've got to find a psychologist and you've got to find somebody who specializes in autism or works with kids, right? And then they typically have a wait. So you'll want to start calling around and getting referrals a good place to start would be like autism speaks um the utah autism society places like that so you can start to you know uh, talk to other parents and families that have kids on the spectrum to kind of get their take on things so i have like a little interjectory question yeah. is it kind of like finding a therapist like you have to find yes. one that fits you yeah okay. Wait, totally. is it also too like is it covered by <clears throat> medical insurance or is it out of is it most of the time the evaluation is covered However, but then additional. Yeah. So the first step is finding finding someone who can do the evaluation. Developmental pedi pediatricians sometimes will do them. Psychologists. Um, there are a few psychiatrists that do it. But here's the thing is that if you, like, it can be hard even in a pretty well-versed community, like here in the, you know, Salt Lake Valley, think about some of those outlying communities or, you know, how about if you live in Vernal or Duchesne or that you're was, in yeah. rural Wyoming or, you know, places like that, um, you know, it can be a huge barrier to even getting the assessment or diagnosis. So mm -hmm. I actually do a lot of work out of state. I do a lot of state or a lot of work mm -hmm. in New Mexico, probably about 90% of what like I do. Like virtually then? Or do you in go? person oh, wow. and do some virtual assessments. Oh, that's cool. But, um, some of those families that I see have been waiting two to five years for an assessment. Oh my gosh. What? I know, which is absolutely terrible because you think about all that time that they could have had had treatment. Had yeah, or, just waiting on that assessment. barrier, the assessment. So you want to start early in terms of getting the assessment, get on multiple wait list. That's totally fine. You know, people do that all the time when they reach out and I get it because I would do the same thing. Yeah. So you get the assessment done and then um after that, based off of the diagnosis, then you get connected to services. So it is important to know the limits of your insurance and what they're willing to pay for. When I first started in the field and I was getting my master's degree and working as a behavior therapist for a child with autism, um, it was not covered by insurance at that point. And so oh, wow. parents had to pay for services out of pocket every week. Oh my and oh it my gets goodness. very expensive, expensive and it gets very cumbersome. But now, for the most part, insurances are paying for those connected services, and they can be quite costly. What so, is what would the average price be? I mean, do you even know that? Oh, gosh, it ranges. I mean, if you're paying for a behavior therapist to come in, it could be anywhere from, like, $15 to $20, uh, you know, an hour. Yeah. 
And then if you're looking at, you know, a board certified behavior analyst or a BCBA to come in and oversee the program, they could bill up to like $100 an oh hour, $80 an hour. That's just ballpark. But, and then the recommendation for services even is huge because if typically when I look at kids that have a level three diagnosis that need more substantial supports, they would be recommended, you know, anywhere from 30 to 40 hours a week sometimes. Oh my gosh. That's a it's lot. It's like a full-time job. It's a full-time wow. job, right? And parents, I, I tell them, don't stress, even though we're recommending this, you do what's workable for your family. Mm-hmm. So I want them to attend school. I want them to be with their typical peers, but I also want them to have supports in home as well. Yeah. And so that's something that you have to keep in mind. Yeah. But with insurance now kind of jumping on board, that's been really great in alleviating that financial burden for parents. Sometimes they have like an out-of-pocket share that's more common. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other insurances that kind of will pay for it all. They might require additional authorizations in order to continue services, which is pretty common. Mm-hmm. So most insurance funders that we work with will require additional assessments to see whether or not they still continue to meet criteria for autism. So I think that kind of leads into another question. People will often ask, do you ever not have autism, right? Yeah, I was actually going to ask that. Do you ever, like, grow out of it? Or, like, that sounds really maybe, like, uneducated, but, like... No, I mean, I think it's... You should think of it as kind of like a lifelong condition. It's kind of like when we talk about things like anxiety and depression, you know. That's for, that's with me for life. Yeah, you know, you <laughs> kind of think like there are times in your life when you're functioning functioning a lot better. And mm-hmm. you may not meet criteria for like a full-blown, you know, general anxiety disorder or something like that. But, or post-traumatic stress disorder, yeah. whatever it might be. But you might always have that um, kind of like tendency to develop those symptoms you just have to make sure that you manage them so like let's say like you're having like ebbs and flows right that's for yeah. some people right so like for me I know this is when I first had anxiety I'd be like I'd take medication for a little while I'm like dude I feel good I don't need this medicine for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. stop taking it yeah so like obviously bad idea um, do not recommend. Do not recommend. <laughs> yeah. So, like, with autism, though, like, can they stop going to treatment and it's okay? Or should they always, like, you know, have an appointment once a month or whatever? Like, I think it's important for them to continue services but reduce as necessary, okay. right? So, when they're able to – when they're better, better able, able to – kind of meet those expectations for academics, uh, for social-emotional expectations, um, independent functioning. Mm-hmm. When we see that, we can start to taper off and pull back on services because they're able to do things like that more independently. Okay. And so it's more common that we see kids that just maybe require less support. So I've seen kids that have gone from like a level two diagnosis down to like a level one mm-hmm. with a lot of supports. I've seen kids that have been completely nonverbal, develop language. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really cool. So, so a level three to a level one? Well, more common like level two, two. Oh, okay. like a level one so or then, level three so down what, to level two. What kind of like gets somebody, like what therapies or, because I've also seen people say like diet is important for. Do you agree or no? Well. I, I the only reason why I say this because when I was researching like stuff to ask and Mm -hmm. and more just getting like um information you know people have certain things that they feel very strongly about and so Mm -hmm. I just was curious like what therapies or treatments or or do you think a diet helps or so debunk debunk some stuff okay let's debunk so in in my practice we really focus a lot on applied behavior analysis so ABA therapy it's evidence-based it's research-based and what it is is you're basically teaching some of the same skills through repetition, right? So you might be teaching 
you know, a skill such as a common one is like what we would call like the get ready program, which is like you're getting the child to attend to you and then get ready for the task, right? So you might be teaching them, okay, hands on lap, you know, and then they need a prompting. They might need you to, you know, reach over and kind of prompt them and have their hands in their lap. That's a very common one. Getting them to wave. So, you know, hi, Tim, you know, and you wait for the the response or if they're not verbal, you wait for their hand to go up and you might kind of like prompt, right? Like Mm -hmm. something like that. So over time, those skills start to build on each other. Um, there has been kind of a little bit of backlash, I think, within the autism community in terms of like how ABA therapy is regarded because a lot of people feel like they're, they don't allow them to be individuals or they're teaching them skills that are rote or they complain that it might be robotic, right? Okay. But I think as a parent, you really have to ask yourself, you know, and I have a nephew that's on the spectrum, but... And my nephew has been in ABA therapy for two years, and he's doing exceptionally well. Yeah. And I've also been in this field for, you know, 16 years now and really seen the growth that kids can make and what a difference it makes in families' lives. So I think you really have to be mindful of, you know, that family and their approach. And like I was saying, a lot of people now view a neurodevelopmental disorder as, you know, just kind of like, this is what we do. Like, we're mm-hmm. neurodiverse, and you hear that term a lot more as well, and you just kind of go with it and you accept some of those things. But there are some things, obviously, as a parent, you want your child to be as independent as possible. Mm-hmm. That's your goal for them long term. And so we really focus on building those skills. So ABA therapy is a great way to go. Um, there's some programs for younger kids that are really great. The Early Start Denver model is research-based and it focuses more with infants and toddlers. That's Those are more like play-based interactions. Mm-hmm. So getting kind of teaching parents and other caregivers how to interact and how to play, and how to elicit those responses, and how to be successful and build on those, mm-hmm. so that we are, you know, shaping that behavior and ensuring that it occurs more frequently. So those are also important. Speech and language services are amazing as well. Those uh, those are services that you can access independently in the community as well as in the school setting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also important to know kind of the difference between your community or home based services versus your school services. So sometimes parents will, um, you know, because if you don't know, you don't know, right? Because this is a subspecialty within many subspecialties, right? Right. So sometimes these issues will come up in school and parents won't really know where to start and the issue will be presented and maybe they'll do an evaluation or assessment on the school side and they might get an educational eligibility under autism and start receiving special education services. However, that does not mean that you have a medical diagnosis, Okay. So mm. you still have to pursue that in order to, especially if you're using insurance and you're wanting to connect services, insurance will want to see that official diagnosis before yeah. they, and I think that can be really frustrating and confusing for parents. And I can see why, you know, cause they'll say, well, my child was already evaluated at school. They have a diagnosis yeah. and yeah. in the school setting, that's an educational eligibility. You mm. have to pursue that in the community center. And then they go to like a special class, right? Or Sometimes. It okay. depends on their level of functioning, right? So mm-hmm. there's some kiddos that are what we would consider more, a um, little bit more like self-contained, maybe mm-hmm. in a setting where they need more supports throughout the day. But yeah. the goal is to place them in their least restrictive environment so that they can access the general education setting and their typical peers because that's important as well. So oh, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, um, I saw something recently. So my sister-in-law has Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And um, I felt like there was like an initiative here in Utah that... Oh, yeah. I, I was that, just reading that the other day. Yeah, somebody yeah. posted something about it. Yeah. About what, is how, it? 
Well, they so a lot of kids, and I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I know nothing. But um, you know what the internet tells you. Yeah, I, well, no, just like from high, like high school or middle school, like kids that had Down syndrome or another like developmental disability, like what they call it, like a resource class, right, mm-hmm. or something. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And so they were this. Um, it was, I think it's nothing down yeah, about it. it was. Yeah, yeah it was okay. Wells. I love Wells. Yeah, so oh, she... I, okay, I know that. They were saying something about how they wanted to start this initiative within their school district or something, allowing these children that have these developmental... Oh, to go to a normal class. Go to a normal yeah. class okay. instead yeah. of going to a resource class. Yeah. And it showed, like, their response to it. Oh, yeah. Which I think it also, like, on the flip side, it helps people that may not have a de- developmental disability learn how to respond to somebody that does because sure. even like for me like with my mm-hmm. sister-in-law I've been married to my husband for almost eight years and it's interesting to see people that like come up to her and talk to her and then like just the family talking to her oh, so right, I'm right. just saying like if people were more around that oh, they'd yeah, be able sure. to just yeah and that's huge it's so important you know especially for kids on the spectrum it is so important for them to have access to typical peers so that they get good practice with yeah. social emotional skills communication mm-hmm. what do you do when a child approaches you on the playground how do you respond and so that is so huge the social piece alone and then that includes inclusivity is also key as well However, there are some academic tasks that may exceed where they're at developmentally. And so then it might be more appropriate to tailor that instruction or differentiate that instruction. And in some cases, they might actually need to be pulled out for some of those services. Mm -hmm. So I think on the school side, you know, I I know both worlds. I speak school and I also speak to, you know, private practice, community-based settings. In the school setting, we're never in the business of excluding kids. You know, it's yeah. always what we consider to be their least restrictive environment. So how can we get their academic and social-emotional needs met in the most inclusive way mm-hmm. so that they can have access to their peers? Yeah. And that's that's our goal, yeah. really. Um, one other thing that I was going to ask, too, was um, when I – also when I was looking at this, um, I read something that uh, – CBD can help autism and I was I I was like really like I mean I don't I know very little about CBD like mm-hmm. I know that people can take it for arthritis and stuff like that mm-hmm. but um what are your thoughts on that so I think there and why would it be used I guess I think just kind of speaking that's not really my subspecialty however I will say um you know it is pretty common that a lot of kids on the spectrum will have associated um kind of like conditions or disorders so anxiety depression things Mm -hmm. like that they're also way more likely to have seizures and things like that so I'm wondering if that's kind of more of the treatment yeah how parents are looking yeah maybe those associated features because it's pretty common that when when I get a referral for an autism diagnosis there's always something else going on yeah so it's like they could meet criteria for autism and a language disorder ADHD as well can be prevalent you know or You know, anxiety or depression. So I'm wondering if they're kind of looking at a, yeah. a, a treating or addressing. I didn't read too much about it. So yeah, I was like, my oh. guess is it would be the associated features, and that's kind of like um, that's kind of new here in Utah because we've been so kind of restrictive on that as yeah. a state. Um, so I think people are, but for seizures, I think families and parents of kids with seizures, I think they've really kind of expressed that it has helped and it's better long term for their kids and their opinion and yeah. Kind of, 
yeah. instead of like some of the other heavier medications they take. Dude, this is so cool. I'm, I feel I'm, like I'm the one asking all the questions. Well, I'm just dude. like taking it all. I seriously am just like staring into Stacy's eyes, like listening to her what she's You're saying, like mesmerized. I am, and I'm just I'm. She's like I never would have guessed that. By the way, you cannot change your weight out and put no. on a 25 pound weight no. or a 45 sometimes. I, on the, the thought that's like coming like multiple ki- multiple times coming to my head is like I think if you were my evaluator, I don't know, or what do you want to call it? Not evaluator. I think I would feel very like at ease like if I was the parent like I'm feeling like very like okay yeah 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 yeah. like I don't know yeah it's like you've got like a very like calming personality and I feel the other thought I'm having is like if I were a parent and trying to figure this out I would feel very overwhelmed with like there's so much information out there and that's like when you're talking about okay well what would you do in this situation and like what's the next step here I'd be like I don't know. And so, like, when I'm listening to you being like, okay, this is just, like, the like the natural progression. I'm like, if you were to tell me that as a my doctor, as my psychologist, I'd be like, okay. Like, I'd feel like, okay, there's a plan. Like, and I feel yeah. like that's probably what parents want to know. Like, Absolutely. Like, be... Um, well, especially initially. Initially, just be like... Oh, yeah. Be like, I can't think of the right word. Not, I don't know. But being like, okay, yeah, we're going to be... We'll do this, and then we'll do this. And then yeah. if this doesn't work, we'll reevaluate totally. and, like, you know, yeah. come back. We're about to experience this, but Bridget and I can speak to this. You know, there's nothing more stressful than finding out that your child might have something going on, Mm -hmm. right? Being a new parent is stressful enough, and then going through that process and realizing, oh, okay, things may not be tracking the way they thought it was, that can be very stressful. Yeah. You know, you experience that on, like, such a large scale that it's, it's overwhelming, and I think... When you work with families, especially with parents of young kids, you really have to take that into consideration. You yeah. know, and I always like to think if this, if I was getting this news, how would I like that to be presented to me? Or yeah. the same, you know, with my sister when my nephew was going through this and getting his diagnosis. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, here's what you need to do. Here's who you need who you need to call. And they were out of state, so I couldn't really coordinate. And so I kind of I told her where to get evaluated. She still had to wait. Like I think she waited maybe six to eight months for an evaluation. Yeah. You know, and got it done, and we were able to connect services and things like that. But, yeah. So, for people who don't know, I mean, you're saying you're helping, you're helping your sister-in-law. What are, like, some good resources that, like, we could use? Like, not if we're, you know, waiting for evaluation or we just want to know more information. Like, one of the things we're talking about is, like, um, uh, you know, putting autism, autistic children, like, in normal environments. But, like, what's something I could do to, like... Or reading or something like that. How can I be, educate myself more? Sorry, I'm like rambling. I can't. No, I you're fine. thoughts together. Well, I think going to some of those like reputable organizations like Autism Speaks and things like that, I think are key because you see the research behind it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, we have really seen an influx of, we've talked about this a little bit, but we have a new kind of age range of like parents that are coming up that are in their 20s and starting to have kids and raise kids. And they're getting their information from TikTok. Yeah. And that is not... It's, what? I, no, really. Like, and that is so, like, foreign to me. And I think because I'm so steeped in what I do now, like, if I want to learn about something, I'm going to look up a reputable, like, research article or I'm going to go to, like, the Children's Hospital yeah. of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. But that is not the case for, like, this newer range of parents that maybe haven't been through some of that process. And so you get your information from TikTok and then you kind of you know you go off of that and you're kind of spinning your wheels and Mm -hmm. 
you know, not to say that all your information off of TikTok isn't, you know, some of it's good, right? You know, there are people on there, but I would, I would make sure you look at your source, right? So what credentials do they have? What kind of research background do they have? You know, are they just someone who picked this up as like, you know, oh, I'm interested in this and I read a book, right? So you have to be really careful about where you're getting your information from. Is it research-based? Is it Mm evidence-based? And then, you know, a good place, I think, to start when you're trying to learn more about that is like looking through your local university, right? Looking at them for, you know, what kind of research are they putting out or who can I talk to? And, you know, for people that aren't, haven't been to grad school or aren't really well-versed in research, I'm not expecting you to go out and read, like, an article. Yeah. <laughs> but you can start it. You can start at some of those really kind of, like, uh, user-friendly websites, Autism Speaks and, you know, Utah's Autism Society, things like that, um, so that you can start to get a feel for what you should be looking for and what kind of sources are going to be helpful and which ones to maybe steer clear for. Yeah. And there are going to be a few little areas that are nuanced within the field and people might have a differing of opinions and there's room for all of those. And you really have to do kind of what's best for you and your family. Mm-hmm. But the most important things to start with are, you know, pediatrician first and then venturing out from there and then working with your local school district as well to getting those supports connected. They can also be a great service or a resource for families too. Yeah, I think we wait. we talked about this earlier before we started the podcast, and Stacy has some. Wait, no, 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 wait! I have just like two oh. questions before oh, she tells her. Oh. I was gonna say she has some resources. Oh, well, yeah, I'll do them in the show. Yeah, yeah, geez. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, I was gonna okay, okay, cut you okay. off. Okay, wait, I'm gonna finish my sentence. Stacy has some resources that she told us about, and we're gonna put them in the show notes. Oh, okay. was that allowable to say? Yes. Okay. okay. Well, I was just gonna say, like, we should end off with her giving her book recommendation. Oh wait, never mind. Okay, sorry. Okay, um, proceed, Your Highness. <laughs> I think one of the big controversial um things that I have seen was because there was something done by I don't even remember who it was. McCarthy. What's her name? No, no. Jenny McCarthy? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Let's get okay. into it. Yeah, that's what Let's I... Let's get into okay. it. I'm happy to debunk this one. Okay. I already so, know what you're going to say, and I've been waiting for you to ask. <laughs> Go ahead and When ask. you got that I'm question, you finish. were like, okay, I'm girl. Ready. Okay, okay girl. Um, do vaccines cause autism? Immediately, no. <laughs> yeah, that's the they thing. They do not. Okay. They do not. Okay? That, let's, yeah. let's talk about it. But didn't well, she like she had she had this huge thing about it, and then like years later she no, it was like a year later they did a study on it, well, and they, they Melissa oh, whatever her name was Jenny, Jenny McCarthy Melissa McCarthy. Uh, how could you forget no. the host of Singled Out? I know, oops, <laughs> greatest show of our generation. I know, Bridget. Never mind. She's too I know, young I'm for like, this. why do you keep thinking Melissa McCarthy, dude? Because she's know. not she's not old enough to know who Jenny McCarthy is. Yeah, um, but she came out like years later, didn't she? And say, said like, oops. Right? No, I don't. Did I, she? I don't, did. I don't know if she ever officially retracted okay. it, but okay. she was. She had a book and everything, right? Yeah, she had a she had a website, she had a book, she had a pretty you know, mobile, large mobilized following. They're still a mobilized this, following. Are they? Oh, no, I'm just saying there's yeah. still a oh, lot of people that 100%, think. One hundred percent. Yeah. Vaccines. Um, thank it. goodness Jenny McCarthy didn't have Instagram during that. <laughs> oh that my gosh! Can you days, imagine? Right, yeah. that time in history. Um, okay, so what? So. Kind of this stems from there was one um, physician who did a study, and I, he might have done like one or two, um, and it was basically like um, gut reactions in kids with autism, right? And then he co- tried to correlate that vaccines somehow came into play with that. Well, 
here's something you need to know is that it's very common for individuals with autism to have gut issues. It's just, it's just one of those quirks or associated features. They very commonly will have issues with digestion. Oh, and like IBS or something? Yep, it's okay. very common. It's one of the questions I always ask well, in a developmental diet in an interview. And so he did kind of a shoddy study. And so what we want to know about research is, is can you replicate it? Mm-hmm. Is it evidence-based? Can I reproduce it? So if you come out with a study and I'm like, say what? I'm going to go out as a researcher and try to reproduce those results in a controlled setting so that I can see if, it's, if it generalizes. Right. Well, they found that they couldn't generalize it. Oh. And so the damage had been done. The word had gotten out. And so there was you know a whole kind of group of people that started to cling on to that. So he actually, there's a whole book about this if you want to go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> it's called, like I like to do, it's called Autism's False Prophet. And you can read that book, and it is mind blowing. Who is it? I like? think I like that. I'll have to go back and look. Okay. But it is like amazing because it just yeah. kind of talks about that whole issue and controversy and where that stemmed from. So they basically, he basically in his study pinned it on the vaccines. Yeah. And was like, you know, these must cause autism. It's the the Marisol. It's merc. It's whatever, right? And so t- um, pinned it on that, and then it just kind of caught fire, and that's where that whole controversy came from. They actually went back. Not only could they not replicate them. They actually retract because it was originally published in like the Lancet, I think, which is like a really prestigious medical yeah. journal. Mm-hmm. They retracted it, which is oh, big. Wow. They never yeah, do that's that what in I medical journals. They retracted it and they took his license away. <gasps> so he is not allowed to practice anymore. And I believe he was like in the UK or something like that. But anyways, that's where that came from. And we have been trying to debunk that ever, ever since. since. And you know what I think happens is that when you look at like the age range of like when you get your vaccinations they tend to fall in line with that window and when we start to notice symptoms anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my theory on it is that, you know... You're looking at it Yeah, more. and parents will say, like, well, I don't know. They got this vaccine and then, you know, things happened. And, yeah. you know, it was actually really... But they were too. And we were looking yeah. for that language explosion. And coincidentally, you were in there for your well-child check and, you know... And I, there are some parents that would probably just kind of, like, swear up and down, like, no, there must have been something, you know. But, you know... That's the hard thing about that is sometimes they do have a regression in skills. Yeah. Sometimes you will start to see them develop language and then they'll stop and they'll even lose previously acquired vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So you have to be really mindful of like what came first. And so categorically, no, vaccines do not cause autism. Vaccinate your kids. Let's not bring back any plagues. Yeah, we're yeah, pro-vaccine. I don't, I, like the vaccine argument literally blows my mind. I don't know if you know who Candace Owens is. Oh, yeah, yeah. She, like, went on a rampage against... I mean, I have my opinions, but she went on a rampage against the CDC, like, But that's also, you know, this is maybe a sidebar, but, like, does she really... Is she an epidemiologist? No, that's the thing. I'm like, she is a political figure. She got her, you know, whatever. She got her stance on politics, and she probably needs to stay in her lane. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing is like everybody has their opinions about the COVID vaccine, whatever. Right. right. But it's like, and then, but do we want polio again? Exactly. 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 And then she like went on because she's like they're, they're like um, lying about their things, and then um, she went on like this huge like rabbit hole with the CDC and vaccines. I'm like the reason why we don't have measles, mumps. Rebella anymore, like polio or cough it's like, like yeah, that. it's just yeah, like totally. of of course these work. Yeah, I mean we don't have them because yeah. they work. Right. Data and anyway. history. Don't sorry, lie. that like right. don't even get me down right. that hole. I because... mean, you know, 
we don't tend to like have our kids die with frequency now. Yeah. yeah. You know, which is great. Mm-hmm. And I think we just kind of need to be mindful of that and where it's kind of being very mindful about where you're getting your information from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially when it returns to health or education for your kids, I would look at where that information is coming from. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm kind of one of those people, like, if I'm going, even if it's something I don't really know anything about, I'm like, where are your credentials from? <laughs> where did you get this from? Yeah. You know, because I want to know that you know, because I don't know. Yeah. And so I need you to tell me about yeah. this field, and I'm going to be confident in what you're telling me. Yeah. And this is one that you don't want to mess up on, because yeah. you can really go astray. Yeah. And that being said, I have, there's, you know, some friends I have that have delayed their vaccine schedule for various reasons. Or some kids actually can't because they're allergic to eggs, for example, oh, or yeah. some things that they find in the vaccine, and I totally get that. And I'm not speaking to no, that. Yeah. But generally speaking, if somebody's holding out on getting vaccines for their kids because they're afraid that they might cause autism, I would say absolutely not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's become such a political thing that it's just... It has. And then, you know, the hard thing is... more political than it is, like, educational. Right. And it would be easier, right, to say, like, we know exactly what causes this, and we don't yet, you know? There are just so many things that are associated or underlying. Like, there could be... There's a huge genetic factor here. They found that, like, um, 30% of kids that are on the spectrum also have some type of, like, gene microdeletion, chromosome deletion, which is so interesting because you there are so many chromosome deletions out there like you literally don't even know about all of them and a lot of associated features of that are autism and you go to a geneticist you would go to a geneticist and that is there's so many other variables like containing all of this so that's important too that should also be um looked at that should be looked at as well like when we're looking at kids that are getting an autism diagnosis we also need to determine whether or not there's a that genetic component as well so that we yeah. can make sure we're kind of fe- um, treating all the associated features too but there's so much there yeah. really is and it just comes up all the time you yeah. know i was actually just doing an evaluation the other day for a little girl who had a specific um, micro deletion and it was one that i hadn't heard of before and pulling up the associated features and doing some research and autism is also related and you know, as a as an IEP team, you know, at school, what does that mean? IEP is an individualized education program. Okay. So we're all sitting together and we're like, oh my gosh, you know, wow, mm-hmm. because That's it's crazy. something that we hadn't considered originally because it was like a more um, kind of obscure gene deletion. But yeah, that's something to be looked at as well. There's so many things. Dang. So many things. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that. Well, I want to ask her. Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I got to all the questions we have, but I want to know if you have anything else you want to yeah. say or like you haven't mentioned yet. I think that that kind of covers it. I think um, really the key here is just being really cognizant of like those early developmental milestones and staying on top of them and not don't get overwhelmed and freaked out. You know, we know it's stressful to be a parent, especially when you feel like maybe you know, your kids aren't on track, but there's help out there and you want to make sure that you address that um, Mm -hmm. because it does tend to not really get better if we don't address it and put those early interventions and services in place. Um, Mm -hmm. And just make sure you do your research. Make sure that you are getting your information from sources that are um, reputable and people that you would actually seek out in the community for supports and services and just be really mindful of that. And, you know, ask around. There's always, the autism community is very mobilized and they um, are always willing to help out families, especially those that are looking at like a new diagnosis because it can be so overwhelming. 
and once you get really like steeped in that environment it's very you know I think it can be really strengthening yeah I actually do have one last question sorry what I mean I know that autism's color is blue Mm -hmm. and that they have a jigsaw puzzle piece as their like some I don't know symbol Mm -hmm. um what what did why why did they choose that what does that mean I think the puzzle piece really kind of comes into like fitting that missing puzzle piece right so like what's what's going on here how come some of these things are not you know connecting and so in my mind Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of where that that comes from in terms of I was just curious I've always wondered yeah I see people that have children with autism and um you know they'll post that like maybe during April or Mm -hmm. whatever Mm -hmm. yeah you'll see a lot of that like the lighted up balloon stuff so yeah this was awesome. This was so good. Good. I'm glad. I know. It was fun talking to you guys. This was Thanks. fun. We'll have to have you on for like a less serious topic. Totally. Let's, yeah, let's, like let's... I feel like now that I'm like this whole time I'm like, she's a psychologist. Like she's like psychoanalyzing. No, right I'm now. not like I'm not like that at all. Liz will tell you. I'm totally not like that. Yeah. In fact, she's probably like, Oh, I didn't actually believe you were one until today. <laughs> no, <laughs> no it's just so funny because my husband's uncle, he taught at Penn State. He's a has his PhD in psychology as well. He now teaches at the U. Whenever like we talk to him, I'm always like, "Are you analyzing me? Analyzing me? Like, am I saying Did you right find thing? all my deep dark secrets just <laughs> by the one sentence I said?" Um, but it was so awesome to have you on. We're so grateful that you took the time out. Yeah, of course. I know that you have book recommendations, and we're going to put them in the notes. Put them in the notes. I'll post them on Instagram. Instagram yeah. sounds mm-hmm. good. Well, it's been so fun. Stacey, you're the best. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You're welcome. I'll also okay. link my website in oh, there yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. Yes. So you want to know where you can, um, yeah. where people can find you. Yeah. It's yeah. on mountainwestautism.com. Okay. So you can learn about our evaluation process and what that looks like and that's getting cool. services connected. Cool. Well, and I'm sure you have resources on there, too. Mm-hmm. Like, that's awesome. Yep. Yeah. We'll we'll link all of that. And anybody in Utah, hit up Stacy for... Dr. Graziano. Dr. Yeah. Dr. Right. Sorry. Like, like, you can call okay. her Stacy and forget her credentials. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I heard you on this dude what dude guess what podcast. Like <laughs> So sorry. You earned every right to call you doctor. Yeah, she did. Um Yeah, okay. we'll do that. Yeah. Cool. It's been okay. real, it's been fun. And it's been real fun. And we'll catch you guys next week. Bye. See ya.